being present in tournaments in this sport is one thing, but at the end of the day, you know, you want to be associated with the people and the stories um, behind it. Welcome to Honest E-Commerce, a podcast dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host, Chase Clymer, and I believe running a direct-to-consumer brand does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. On this podcast, we interview founders and experts who are putting in the work and creating real results. I also share my own insights from running our top Shopify consultancy, Electric Eye. We cut the fluff in favor of facts to help you grow your e-commerce business. Let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Honest E-Commerce. Today, I'm welcomed by an amazing guest, Henry Murray. He's the co-founder and CMO of Waterdrop. They're one of Europe's fastest growing hydration brands. They're making a name for themselves in the US now. Um, looking forward to chatting with you, Henry. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Nice to, nice to be on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. So let's quickly, let's kind of let people know what are the products that Waterdrop is actually bringing to market so they can kind of understand uh, what it is that you guys are producing. So the core of our portfolio is really a simple hydration cube that gives you water flavor, functionality, and taste without all the bad stuff, preservatives, no sugar, um, no artificial flavorings. That's how we started the product brand and the universe. But what it evolved into is kind of a hydration ecosystem. So over time, we introduced drinkware and hydration tracking app across different categories with electrolytes, with caffeine, with for hot hydration, um, for purification, for filtration. So everything that helps you drink more water is kind of in our range. And we either do it ourselves or we partner up with um, the best partners in the world. But at the core of it and the replenishable product, and that's the product we launched initially, is our hydration cube, especially our micro drinks, as we call them. Awesome. All right. So take me back in time. Where'd the idea for these micro cubes come from? So the idea came up, funny enough, in a plane. It was my brother, Martin, and our mother flying from Singapore to Hong Kong and sitting in front of a... You know, you always get asked the question, what do you want to drink in a plane? And people come with these little cans of carbonated soft drinks. And then you say, well, I just want water because I, I'm not really into like sugar and package stuff so you get water and you think like okay that's not really sustainable you're carrying all that water up there in a little plastic cup but is there something we can put into this cup of water now that turns it into a beverage that is well tasting and doesn't do harm and actually does something good for me and that was the initial idea of water drop and that's how we then started researching what solutions are that we saw in the market. There wasn't a lot. There's a lot in liquid water enhancers. There was a lot in vitamins, supplements, but these products were all about transporting something, not the drinking experience itself. And then there's a few old instant powders out there with all kinds of stuff in there. So nothing really tackling the new consumer sentiment around customization, sustainability, and, and, and great taste and functionality. And, and that's how we developed uh, the first product and launched it in 2017 and, and grew it from there. Awesome. Awesome. So I think there's a little bit more of the story between coming up with this cool idea and launching a product. So tell me, walk me through... The first question is going to be, how do you guys attempt to validate this idea? Or did you just go in gung-ho? Great question. So we did start with a strong belief in the sense of something can change, must change in the beverage industry. So the concept in itself was 
very appealing and strong. And that was actually what got us the first commitment from angel investors, from also R&D partners, because we went, nobody of us comes from the beverage industry, from the FMCG industry, um, or from, from any big player. So we had to bring on people that could actually develop a product like that. So our first partner and supplier uh, was also one of the first investors into Waterdrop. And that paid off a lot because we were able to really R&D the best product out there. So we had, as you would say, an MVP out there with which we launched. And it wasn't, it wasn't good. It wasn't tasting nice. It wasn't packaged uh, as nicely. And um, we launched it regardless in a small test here in Vienna. And I think there's a saying, I'm not sure it was one of the, one of the big Silicon Valley legends. Um, if you, if you didn't, if you're not embarrassed by the first product you launched, you launched too late. And we definitely were embarrassed <laughs> over time, but we were really proud at the time. And what we did and how we validated is we, we, we actually ran a pop-up shop. So compares to a small lemonade stand and we, we did it on the busiest street in Vienna and we, went out there with the product and we tested it with consumers and say, how do you like it? How would you drink it? And uh, what do you need? What's missing, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and we kind of did that for gaining all of this insight. But at the same time, we saw it's actually a viable business model. So that was the beginning right at the start of a multi-channel business, meaning not only trying to sell directly to consumer, going past the classic retail um, industry, but also going direct to consumer with like uh, offline retail. And that's how we started, how we validated, and we kind of see our brand and the product more like a tech company where we've been launching versions all the time, and there was always the next best thing, and we went from the iPhone 5 to the iPhone 6 to the iPhone 7, and not like maybe other beverage brands, we launch a product and then focus on sales and marketing and distribution. So that really what kept us the agility, and um, that's how we're still doing it today. Awesome. So I know that here in the States, there's a lot of... Uh red tape to getting anything that is food or beverage related uh, kind of available to be able to be sold, right? Uh, how long did it take you to kind of get through that R&D phase to get an MVP on the first product? Like from you know ideation to like, all right, we're going to make this thing. Do you mean specifically in the States or in Europe where we started at? I would say in Europe where you started, but I, then I think it would also be... Okay, okay. Because there was quite a there was quite a bit of red tape involved in getting the product over to the US, um, but um, in Europe we it probably took us around one and a half to two years uh, in order to get the product live and and ready to to launch and, and and make it how we wanted it to be. So that would be probably from ideation to to really first commercial batch. That would be the time span. Absolutely. Yeah. The reason I ask is, you know, I want to let the listeners know that these types of products, they take quite a bit of time to really get everything into place to launch them. And CPG, especially here in the States, as you already alluded to, getting things approved, it's quite a bit of a process. So you need to kind of just understand that going into it. I would fully agree. I mean, I think we made our life's harder sometimes than it could have could have been because nothing of what we've done is like commodity. There's no co-packers that could do like the same thing in the US, especially like in our market segment, you would find a lot of like powder sachets, et cetera, et cetera, that you could probably develop faster in the sense of it's a commodity product with a custom branding. But consumers and retailers, they, at least in our experience, they've like acknowledged and 
appreciated a lot that we have like our specific form packaging is custom made just cannot be replicated from one day uh, to the next and it's actually very hard to to do that and that turned out to be one of our greatest usps so it does make sense and it does pay off um, in some cases to go the hard way and the long way and actually going through all of that pain Absolutely. So let's go back to you guys have validated this idea through your lemonade stand model, which I love that analogy. Um, you validated this thing. How did you start to, you know, what was phase two looking like? You're like, all right, we're onto something here. Let's start to grow this. How did you go out there and acquire new customers? So first we thought we could, we we're going to launch this online shop and we launched waterdrop.com or the German version of it. And and we thought now the sales are going to pour in, right? We have an online shop. <laughs> so nothing happened, obviously, on the day of launch. And we thought, shit. So we, we turned to social media very fast. And back in, that was 2016, 2017, um, beginning of 2017, it was still, I would say, pretty much the high phase of Facebook ads and marketing acquisition cost was still bearable i would say compared uh, to now and that comes kind of down to timing that was our platform for quite some time uh, we were able to we kind of cracked the code on how to run scalable ads on facebook instagram wasn't even as strong in europe back then now it's kind of shifted but um, that was really where we scaled a lot um, that was our first growth channel facebook ads and then the second channel was um influencer marketing that, that worked really well for us. And we had to tweak a lot of things. We had to tweak the product. We had to actually introduce our drinkware range for people like our glass bottles and steel bottles for people to understand in the first second of the ad that this is actually a beverage and not a soap or not a, I don't know, a, a bath salt or something like that. Um, that was really important. But we, we scaled through Facebook ads and then through influence marketing and then moved into broader marketing channels over time. Absolutely. With trying to crack the code, and as you already alluded to, cost, cost per acquisition was a, a very different a few years back when you guys were doing this versus now. But can you shed any light on um, what kind of budgets that you were spending on really trying to start to get the algorithm to work in your favor and to really bring in the sales that you needed? I cannot say exactly because everything is a bit fluid in my memory, but I do remember one point when we crossed $1,000 or 1,000 euros a day in spend, it felt like, whoa, we're really scaling here. Like, this is really big now. And uh, that was when we felt like we, we were reaching like scale and the algorithm was optimizing itself and A-B tests suddenly makes, made sense. So that was back then. Now we're spending significantly higher budgets. But um, before that, it was all very organic, very small data was kind of in the dark or wasn't significant yet. So we kind of passed that threshold and we we believed we had more insight um, into what was happening back then. Yeah, I, I feel like that's always a uh, a growing pain. And maybe it's it's limiting the belief on the founders or the brand side and less on the budgetary side of us like, can we even spend that much money to mm -hmm. do this thing? It's always like that. I think that's one of the bigger hurdles that people approach when they're starting to you know, you've got validation. You, you you know you've really got product market fit, but it's like, should, should we actually be spending this much money to get in front of these this many people? Are we even there yet? I think it's like a, a limiting belief some might have. Absolutely, we were actually always trying to to spend more. Like as soon as we had something working, we said like, your performance um, team and we were a small team is like just 
double it up tomorrow. You know, like we want to, do we want to see the impact right away? And it was like, it doesn't work that way. Um, and yeah, so it, it, it took time. Hey there, merchant. Are you tired of trying to navigate the wild world of e-commerce on your own? Are you looking for a partner to help you achieve your goals? Look no further than the Shopify Plus agency, Electric Eye. Our team has a proven track record of helping our clients make millions with strategic design and development. Whether you're migrating from a legacy platform to Shopify, designing a new theme for your store, or just looking to optimize what you already have, Electric Eye is the perfect partner for you. Electric Eye are true Shopify experts. Not only is our Shopify knowledge unparalleled, but we have partnerships with all the best tech in the Shopify ecosystem. And don't worry, we're easy to get a hold of. Our clients rave about our fast communication. So here's the deal. If you're an e-commerce business doing over $1 million a year, you can receive a complimentary Shopify diagnostic from our team of experts. That's free, personalized strategic recommendations to improve your store and grow your business. To get started, head on over to electriceye.io slash connect to schedule an intro call with one of our experts. That's electriceye.io slash connect. Hey there, merchants. Are you struggling to get your Merchant Center ads approved but keep running into a price mismatching error? Wondering how your competitors are showing reviews, price, delivery, and product availability directly in search results? What if there was a way to get your ads approved for the first time and get more traffic without fighting for rankings? That's where JSONLD for SEO comes in. It's an app that helps you get more organic traffic to your Shopify store, qualifying you for over a dozen search enhancements and provides all the structured data you need for Merchant Center. JSON-LD for SEO automatically adds the structured data needed, and it's updated regularly as the rules change by Google. It's a hands-off SEO app that you don't need to monkey around with to get working. It's the safest, easiest, and most effective way to stand out from your competitors in search results. Contact us to get your free structured data audit for your store. Find JSON LD for SEO in the Shopify App Store to get started. That's J-S-O-N-L-D for S-E-O or go to J-S-O-N-L-D.app. JSONLD.app. Hey everybody, Chase here to talk about an amazing new product that's hitting the market. So what do brands like Warby Parker, Dr. Squatch, Vital Proteins, and Blinjet all have in common? They're all increasing their abandoned cart revenues by over 10x with Retention.com. Retention.com helps direct-to-consumer brands harness the power of identity to transform lost leads into sales and rapidly expand their abandoned revenues. Retention.com is giving honest e-commerce listeners 20% off their annual commitment. If you're not seeing the results that you want within 60 days, you can opt out at no charge. Head on over to retention.com slash honest. That's R-E-T-E-N-T-I-O-N dot com slash H-O-N-E-S-T to book a demo today. We were talking about influencers, but you guys are up to something a little more interesting these days. Uh, you've engaged a lot with the professional tennis industry. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, I'm very happy to. So over time, we expanded our product portfolio. And the first line, the micro drink line is all about making tasty hydration simple. But last year, uh, we introduced a line and it was, and it is all about electrolyte rehydration cubes. So we suddenly, suddenly, well, we were working towards it, developed a product that was fitting and perfect for, for athletes. And we realized that in order to reach the right target groups and also 
not only for this product category, but also emotionalize the entire feeling of the brand. Um, sport is a really great platform for us, not because there's a lot of target consumers in there, but also because it has a lot of effects on everything else. And so we were thinking what sports may fit water drop. And we started off with skiing because we're from Austria and Europe and, and the skiing is a big thing here. So that's not a really a global platform. And we came to tennis, not because we're have tennis players ourselves, but because, because of two things, actually. First of all, hydration is a massive element in tennis. Like they're, they always have to drink. And second, the media exposure of um, hydration is also really big. Like there's no other sport where you see people drinking as much as in tennis because you have these changeovers and people sit on the bench and they're just sitting there and usually drinking from a bottle. And the one problem that tennis kind of has is that hydration was also not really sustainable there until now, meaning they're always drinking from single-use plastic bottles. And that's one of our core beliefs that we believe that single-use plastic water bottles should be something of the past. So we said we will go into a sport where we can make an impact in the sense of we can transform that sport, get rid of plastic bottles there. We introduced an innovative hydration bench. You may have seen it on the ATP tour somewhere where players sit on a bench in a changeover where they have a sustainable steel bottle in their hand and they can actually fill the water directly from the bench into their bottle and they don't need to stand up. They just put over the bottle, water comes down and they drink it right away. And the tour loved it, the tournaments love it, the players love it, everybody is just happy about it. And for us, it's great media exposure and um, that's why we ventured into tennis. Why the athletes? I think, you know, being present in tournaments in this sport is one thing, but at the end of the day, you know, you want to be associated with the people and the stories um, behind it. And that's how we got in touch with Taylor Fritz, um, Danielle Collins, uh, both US number one players, um, and also how we got the attention of Novak Djokovic. So uh, the current world number one and um I would say one of the most successful, if not the most successful tennis player of all time. And he not only uh, was like amazed by what we're doing in, in, in tennis, but in general as a brand. And, and we brought him in as a shareholder and investor and, and, and also as an ambassador. So I would say in tennis, we have full backing. Uh, we also partnered with the ATP. So the professional male tennis organization that organizes the tour and really trying to make an impact and also make sure we're leveraging these assets uh, as a brand and, and and people get the value of that. Absolutely. That's that's amazing what you're doing there. Working with the, the tennis players and all of that angle kind of coincides with some of your more recent goals of expanding into the US market. Now, when I'm typically in the seat and I'm interviewing a brand, they're usually in the US market trying to expand internationally. So I'd love to hear about some of the challenges from an international brand trying to break into the US market. So it's interesting because there's a big advantage and there's a disadvantage being from Europe or being from the US. The big advantage, I would say, from being in the US directly as a brand, and it would have helped us a lot, is that from day one, you're addressing this massive market with hundreds of millions of people. And you can do that with just one website or one retailer or some like just with very simple things and a very small team. However, in Europe, if you want to expand to that kind of scale, you got to you got to 
figure out how to enter France. You got to how to figure out how to enter Denmark. You got to go into Italy. So, and you think there's a European Union, but the truth is every country has different regulations, packaging, legal, compliance, all of that. So that means we're much slower than somebody just scaling in the U.S. The only big advantage you have over that, you have this massive advantage for brands that are coming over from the U.S. to Europe. They have no idea how to like diversify across 20 different countries because it's really complex. So you have to go through all of that pain. So you have, I would say, if you penetrated these markets first from a European side and you're kind of good at entering new markets by adapting to new regulations, etc., then going into the U.S. will be, I would say, fairly easier versus going the other way around is coming from one large market and trying to diversify into 10 different specific markets um, within Europe. So I think that's one of the reasons why US brands tend to maybe do the UK and then over time um, explore other markets. Um, but at the same time, you can become massive in the US alone. So I don't know what's better. I can only share what, what we did so far. I don't think that there any one way is better, but it is you're the first person to highlight that uh yeah, you guys understand how to break new markets and go through those uh kind of that steps on those checklists and you've done it numerous times before trying to get to America. But yeah, it's usually for an American brand, it's probably the first time they've ever done it, and the first time is always the hardest. Correct. Correct. Awesome. Now, Henry, is there anything I didn't ask you about today that you think would resonate with our audience? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, first of all, I have to say you're asking a lot of great questions. I've done this more than once. <laughs> so <laughs> so I'm finally getting better. <laughs> so I, 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 I believe you know your audience best and what they want to know. Um, I'm thinking if there's something that may be particularly interesting from a European brand coming to the US, if if we changed something within the product or within the positioning, and there are a few things um, that we did differently, but I'm not sure how relevant that is to the audience, but I can elaborate if you want. No, I'd love to hear it. So when we started two years in the US, we, we basically just launched the same product. We, 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 we made sure the products are FDA ready. So that was a painful process, but I was more the, the compliance side of it. But what we realized that after we, after we saw there were a couple of things we actually had to change, just simple things like in our drinkware range, our bottles, like we're just way too small. We had like these 15 ounce bottles and, and people were saying, Oh, that's nice, but that's like an accessory. And look, I want half gallon bottles and I want bigger bottles. And like, I want to hydrate, give me a gallon, give me that. And we were like, Oh my God, this, we don't even have this in our portfolio. Same with the product itself. So we changed intensity of the product. We changed messaging and functionality. We saw that the US values functionality a lot more, um, than maybe some markets in, in Europe. Everything is louder, um, more direct, more to the point. And, and we had to translate that to basically also redo our entire packaging because what we did was very soft and very D2C friendly. So consumers, very European, you had to figure it out on your own. Basically, once you had the product and in the US, everything has to, should be straight to the point in your face, make it clear from second one and um, make sure you get the value for money. Uh, right there. And that's something we, we had to learn, um, sometimes the hard way, but, um, we definitely changed it. And I wouldn't say, I think we probably even learned a lot from, a, a, like 
taking more best practices from the US market and then also applying them back in Europe to a lot of things, which makes things even better here in Europe. So being a global company and like being active in more markets, I think the beauty of it is that you can kind of take the best working things um, from from other markets and then apply them to to your core markets or the other way around. Oh, absolutely, Henry. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing all these insights. If I am curious about the product, where do I go to check it out? So ideally, you go to waterdrop.com. You can order there directly. We're also going to be available at Walmart and in selected Target locations as from April. So that's a big step for us. We're going to be available in around half of all Walmarts with HEB, um, with Harman's Lassen's. You can also get some products on Amazon, um, but uh, it's up to you where you want to shop. And we hope we can reach you there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Henry. Thank you, Chase. We can't thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing their knowledge and journey with us. We've got a lot to think about and potentially add into our own businesses. You can find all the links in the show notes. You can subscribe to the newsletter at honestycommerce.co to get each episode delivered right into your inbox. If you're enjoying this content, consider leaving a review on iTunes that really helps us out. Lastly, if you're a store owner looking for an amazing partner to help you get your Shopify store to the next level, reach out to Electric Eye at electriceye.io. Until next time.